Let's pray as we look at this passage together. Our Father, we thank you that this story has been recorded for us to show us the glory of Jesus. And we pray that we would see him very clearly and what he's worth in the next few moments. We pray that you'd work at our hearts to make us love him more and want to serve him more with our lives. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Well, I wonder, as Steve read that passage, what stood out to you in that, in that story? You can't have missed it, can you? It's so clear. You couldn't have missed it if you were in the room as well. It's that woman who comes in with that extravagant act. She pours out the perfume, breaks the jar, pours it out on Jesus' head, and everyone stunned and looks around in shock. You can't miss it in this story, and you can't miss it in the house. And the people in the house, Jesus' disciples and friends, they're sitting there, and they're absolutely shocked. And they have a question, and their question is this one here. Why this waste? Do you see that's the question in verse 4? Why this waste? And what this woman does is an extravagant act of love. And what she points to is another extravagant act of love that's going to be done by Jesus himself. The actions of this woman set in motion the events that are going to come up the rest of this week. And I don't know if she realized what she was doing. But Jesus tells us what she was doing. He says it in verse 8. He says, verse 8, This woman, she poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. She probably didn't realize it. This was just her way of expressing love for Jesus. And yet it prepared Jesus for that special job that he'd come to do, anointed him as the Christ, as the Messiah, as God's King. See, what's going on here, do we see, is the final straits. The, the train is hurtling down the tracks, and we're heading towards Jesus' death on the cross. And the events are set in motion. And what's going on here in verse 1? Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread are coming down the tracks. We're only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law are looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. Now, the Passover festival, you know what that was, because we looked at Exodus a while ago, uh, celebrating how God had rescued his people out of Egypt, out of slavery. You remember they killed the lamb and they put the blood on the doorposts and the lintel. And God passed over and saved those people who trusted in the blood. So Passover's here, and again, they're sacrificing a lamb uh, to remember what God has done. And Jesus is on the tracks towards being the sacrificial lamb at Passover, the one who sheds his blood for us. That's where we're headed, an extravagant act of love by Jesus. But why this waste? Because Jesus was an extraordinary man, wasn't he? He, he taught in ways that people had never heard before. And he healed the sick, and he fed the hungry, and he stood up for the poor. He could have achieved so much more. It seems that his life was tragically cut short at just the wrong time. Why this waste of a life? Just imagine what he could have done. And yet he goes and he pours his life away. Every last drop of it. What a waste. But did you notice uh, the leaders are plotting? They're sly. And they say, did you see that what they say? Not during the feast. Not during the feast because the people will riot. We'll get ourselves into trouble. It'll get out of hand. But it will happen during the feast. Because Jesus is the one calling the shots. He's the one who set the train in motion. And he's the one pouring out his life in an extravagant act of love. 
I wonder, are you the sort of person who hates waste? And um, when you get to the end of the sauce bottle, are you the sort of person who you know, tries to get in there and get the stuff out, get the knife in and get the last bit out? Or do you chop, get the scissors and cut the top of the bottle off just to get in, not to waste? None of us likes wasting things, do we? We certainly don't like the thought of wasting our lives. We're terrified at the thought that we'll get to the end of our lives and look back and think, I've wasted my time, I've wasted my talents, I wish I'd made better decisions. We hate waste. Waste of money, waste of food, waste of time, a waste of life. We fear those things, don't we? But how do you decide if you've wasted your life or not? Who gets to say? How do you know when you look back over your life whether or not you've wasted it? What is the measure of what, who decides what waste is? What we've got here is an extravagant act of love or an extravagant act of waste, depending on who you listen to. So let's just have a closer look at what is going on in this story. Jesus has been invited, hasn't he, to a dinner party. You know, he spends a lot of time at dinner parties. Uh, Jesus isn't this weird recluse who hangs around in a cave and teaches people religious stuff. People actually enjoyed spending time with Jesus, and they invited him to parties. And you see in verse, uh, uh, I haven't made a note of the verse, but you see it's in the home of Simon the leper, which is a bit surprising because if a leper invited you to a dinner party, I don't imagine you would go. I don't imagine many people would go, which makes it quite possible that Simon used to be a leper. He was someone who Jesus healed. And now he's throwing this wonderful celebration, this dinner party, and invited everyone. And verse 3 says, The house is packed, and while Jesus was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of a man called Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head a jar of very expensive perfume, and it's made of pure nard. And if any of us knew what that was, we'd be impressed, wouldn't we? Well, pure nard was imported all the way from India, so it was a big deal in Israel. Very expensive. And she cracks this open and pours it over Jesus. No holding back here. She's the sort of woman who gets the tomato sauce and cuts the top off. No going back. She smashes the jar. Now imagine that. Just imagine you're sitting there in the room and you hear the crash and you see the broken pieces on the floor and the room starts to smell of perfume. And there's a sort of silence in the room. Everyone's shocked and looks around. What just happened? It's very expensive stuff. Did you notice what they said? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages. More than a year's wages. I don't know what a year's wages would be in this room. What's the average wage? I'll probably get myself into trouble for guessing. But I'm going to go with 20,000, okay? 20,000 pounds. And she just smashes it and pours it out. You'd imagine the shock in the room. This jar of perfume was so expensive. I imagine that this woman, she, she wouldn't have been able to afford a jar of perfume like that herself. So it must have been handed down as a fam family heirloom. Must have been very precious to her. And yet she smashes it and pours it out. And the woman, you see, has seen something in Jesus that makes her believe that he is worth it. 
There's no going back for her. The jar is smashed. The perfume, it's all poured out. She's invested everything in Jesus. It's not a financially wise decision. It's not prudent. But she's not interested in how much it costs. She thinks Jesus is worth it. So there's silence in the room, but this is the sound that breaks the silence. Why this waste? It's complaining, isn't it? These people are indignant. They're getting hot and bothered. There's commotion starting, fingers pointing, voices raised. And the reason they're up in arms is because she spent so much and achieved so little. Spent so much and achieved so little. 20,000 pounds just to smell good. Why this waste? And they've got a point, haven't they? You think of all the potential that that perfume had. All the potential of that resource could have been used to get the money to feed the poor, to give someone a, a place to stay for the night who's homeless. And they rebuked her harshly, it says. And these, remember, are Jesus' closest friends, his disciples. And they're shocked and they rebuke her. And they say it's a waste. But here's the question, how do they decide? How do they know it's a waste? Well, they're thinking about the money, aren't they? They're thinking about the value of the perfume. And you see what they say in verse 5. It could have been sold, and the money given to the poor. You see, they're fixated on how much this perfume was worth. Whenever I used to fly uh, between London and Belfast when I was a student, I would go through Gatwick Airport, um, because I like to make make things complicated. And in Gatwick Airport, you would have this fantastic sports car, nice and shiny, and you'd see people stopping and gazing at it and gathering around. It's sort of captivating, isn't it, when you see something that's worth so much, and you'd see the men standing there going, ooh, shiny. (laughs) Not, Not just the men, you know. It's so valuable. It's how much it's worth in terms of money. And the people sitting in this room, they see the perfume and it's filling the room with this smell and they think it's worth so much. 20,000 pounds could have been used to feed the poor. And this is a waste because it's so much money. You know, if you're going to spend your life, if you're going to spend your money and your time and your effort on things, spend it on things that are useful. Make it worthwhile. Use your life to fix the problems in the world. Make poverty history. Do good things for other people. What a waste of resources that could feed the hungry and give the homeless a shelter for the night. Why this waste? Now just imagine that you are the woman who has smashed the jar and poured out the perfume. You're standing there and uh, the jar is smashed at your feet. You can see the pieces. All your perfume is gone. There's no way to get that back in the bottle. And there are Peter and Judas, Jesus' friends and disciples. And they're shouting at you, indignant and rebuking you harshly. And they're saying, what a waste. What have you done? We could have used that money to feed the poor. What would you be thinking if you were that woman? Oh, have I done the right thing? Have I made a mistake? And Jesus leaps to her defense. Do you see in verse 6? Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. So what do you see? An extravagant act of love or an extravagant act of waste? 
The guests at the dinner party see waste, and Jesus sees beauty. And this is where we need Jesus to redefine for us what counts as waste, to tell us what is really valuable. Jesus says here that what she has done is a beautiful thing, and he gives us a couple of reasons why he thinks it's beautiful. And I want us just, as we finish, to to consider four of these reasons. Jesus says it is a beautiful thing because it showed that she valued Jesus above everything else. This woman, she knows about the poor, and she cares, you know, it's not, uh, when Jesus says, you'll always have the poor with you, it's not a kind of, oh, don't worry about the poor. No, of course Jesus cares, and he thinks that we should support people who need it. But he knows that this woman has seen what is most important. He is of greater value and greater worth than anything or anyone else. And so you see what he says in verses 6 and 7. She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you. And you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She values Jesus above everything. She's not concerned about pleasing other people. She doesn't care what other people think. And she's not thinking, oh, 20,000 pounds, I'm about to blow 20,000 pounds. She's walked into that house thinking, Jesus is so worth it. He's so wonderful. I would give anything for him. The second reason Jesus says this is a beautiful thing is because she did what she could. So you see that in verse 8. She did what she could. There's a big difference, isn't there, between could and should. Should is a kind of nasty word. makes you feel guilty automatically. You, know? you should do more. You should do this. You should sign up for that. You should give more time to this. We feel guilty. And as Christians, we struggle with that, don't we? I struggle with that. A feeling of I should be doing this, that, or the other. And it absolutely saps the life out of your Christian life and saps the joy. But Jesus doesn't say that she did what she should. He says that she did what she could. And that's very different, isn't it? Because no one told this woman to give 20,000 pounds worth of perfume. No one said, now listen, Jesus did all of this for you. You should do this for him. She came absolutely freely and she did what she could. Just imagine her sitting at home in the armchair And she's thinking, Jesus is wonderful. I wonder what I could do for him. Just dreaming up the possibilities. And then she thinks of the perfume. That's what Jesus calls a beautiful thing. So a begrudging sense of duty, a sense of guilt, and a forced obedience are not pleasing to Jesus. He doesn't want our forced obedience. And there was a preacher called Charles Spurgeon who was infinitely better than any of us today. And he was preaching on this passage. I'm going to read some of his words because I can't put them better. So here is what he said to his congregation. I'm not going to stir you up, my fellow Christians, to do anything for Christ, for I fear to spoil the freeness of your love's life. I do not want to be pleading with you to enter into his service more fully. For the work of pressed men is never so much prized as that of happy volunteers. 
yet as I love you, I would have you love your Lord more and more. It is so sweet to belong to Christ that the more fully we can belong to him, the more free we are. See, Spurgeon says he's not going to stand here and say, do this, you should do this, you should do more. He says, I'm going to stand here and I'm going to present Christ to you and the freeness that he gives so that you fall in love with him and then do what you can for him. So what could you do? What could you do to express your love for this man? Thirdly, Jesus says it is a beautiful thing because she's making much of Jesus' death. So actually what Jesus says is in verse 9. She has done a beautiful thing to me. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. She's pointing to Jesus' death. She's highlighting his death. And that's a beautiful thing, Jesus says. As I said earlier, I don't think she even realizes what she's doing. She just thinks she's giving this extravagant love to Jesus. But he says, no, what you've done, even without realizing it, is to prepare me as the anointed one for what I've come to do, to save people with my death. You see, in the very next section in our Bibles there, if you look down, you'll see Jesus is with his disciples around the table, we're very familiar with this. He takes the cup, remember, and he says, this is my blood, which is given for you, which is poured out for you. This woman, she poured out her perfume, and Jesus pours out his blood, an extravagant act of love. He pours out his blood in order to pay the price to set us free, so that we don't live lives of should, but live lives of freedom. He poured out his life for all the times when I've wasted mine, when I've not lived for God. Jesus poured out his life. And this is a beautiful act, he says, because it makes much of Jesus' death. And wouldn't that be wonderful to live a life that points people to Jesus' death, that just hints to people of what he's done for you and what he can do for them? That is not a wasted life. That is a beautiful thing, Jesus says. And then finally, it's beautiful because she invests in something lasting. I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Well, people spend their whole lives trying to become famous, don't they? To make an impact in the world and be remembered. To not waste their lives. And Jesus says, this woman has not wasted her life. This gospel's going to go out over the world for 2,000 years so far. And here we are in Enderby thinking about this woman. In fact, we know her name because another gospel tells us her name is Mary. Isn't that amazing? Some people just want to be famous. I know you're just getting over the news that uh, Jenny and I watch uh, Take Me Out. We also watch First Dates. And on First Dates this week, we had a special guest, because there was a woman came in and she said, I really want to meet a guy who turns heads. The sort of guy that when you walk into the room with him on your arm, people you know, think, ooh, he's famous. So what do they do? They set her up with Howard from Halifax. Do you remember him from the Halifax adverts? And they made a big deal of this. And the great thing was that this woman made it the whole way, essentially, through the date without recognizing who Howard from Halifax was. And he was a wee bit miffed because he wants to be famous. And he thought he'd been on TV so many times, 
made an impression. People would remember who he was. But they don't do that. But we remember this woman, as Jesus said, because she did a beautiful thing. And she invested in something lasting. She invested in a kingdom that's going to last forever and ever and ever. She did what she could. She drew attention to Jesus' death. She invested in this kingdom. So you see why Jesus says this is not a waste, but a beautiful life. He values Jesus above all things. Do we value him? Do we treasure him for him? Do you sit at home and wonder, you know, when you read the Bible and pray, do you, are you left with that sense of, oh, I just want to tell someone or I just want to do something for him? It might not be a big thing. I might not feel very strong to do it, but I just want to. I don't feel I should. I don't feel guilty about it, but I really want to. And when you hear other disciples say, you know, she's wasting her life. Why is he doing that? Why is he spending his time on that? Why are they spending their time with such a small group of people, insignificant people, teaching the Bible or praying? Why spend an evening praying? What a waste. Well, Jesus says, this, this is a beautiful thing. You know, I don't want us to go home today thinking, what should I do? Jesus, or not Jesus, Richard has stood at the front of church and he's told me, he's made me feel really guilty and he's told me I should be doing more. Now I want us to go home thinking, Jesus is wonderful. He's done so much for me. I don't even have to do anything to pay him back. But I love him and I want to. Well, that way of thinking and feeling doesn't come naturally to us. Um, this woman, Mary, she wasn't sitting at home watching the TV and suddenly just was filled with love for Jesus. Now, she was spending time with him, studying him, watching him, listening to him, and falling in love with him. And that's how it happens, isn't it? Time with Jesus, that's what we need. If we're going to love him like this and be captivated, he's more captivating than a shiny sports car in an airport. He's more worth it than 2,000 pounds, 20,000 pounds of perfume. He's more striking than a smashed jar at a dinner party. And I want to pray this morning that we as a church become captivated with Jesus and love him. So let's pray. In a sense, Lord Jesus, it is easy to love you because you are so lovely and kind and gracious and merciful, so loving and so willing to come and rescue us and die on the cross for us so willing to forgive and be patient with us again day after day, so willing to give us all the good things that we have, all the blessings that we enjoy, so gracious in giving us a church family to support one another and love one another. And I pray that you would increase our love for you, that we might glorify you with our lives and live lives that are not a waste, but are beautiful in your sight. And we ask it in your name. Amen. Just before